You're listening to The Tool Belt, a manufacturing podcast focusing on logistics, safety, operations, and breaking industry news. Hi, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Plant Services Tool Belt Podcast brought to you by the Endeavor Business Media Manufacturing Group. In this episode, we'll be talking to Massa CEO Don Massa Stankevich about trends in wireless sensing. Massa engineers and manufacturers sonar and ultrasonic products for use in the water and the air. And on their website, they say that we are the eyes and the ears for naval ships and submarines to protect the U.S. coastline with our undersea technologies. Now, I know we've got a lot of readers and listeners who are veterans, so I'd like to welcome Dawn to the podcast to talk more about the company. How are you doing today, Dawn? Hi, Tom. Thanks for having me today. Thanks for being here. Um, it's interesting. When I moved into this <clears throat> sector of industry, I think I underestimated the amount of Navy and Coast Guard veterans that are part of the maintenance and reliability and industrial operations mindset. And so I'm excited to talk with you today about, about you, your company, and your experiences. Oh, that's terrific. Thank you. Uh, you know, we um, we definitely support all of the armed services um, ourselves with and with our products. So it's it's great to uh, help them at sea with our sonar, but also when, when they transition out into other industry uh, with sensors and products that they might need to do whatever it is they're doing. Cool. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself and your work at Massa. I, I, I know that the company's been family held for a while. Maybe you could talk about uh, that legacy of the company and sort of what you're up to these days. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we're a third generation family business. I'm the third generation. <laughs> um, <laughs> my grandfather, Frank, uh, is has been called and is considered uh, the father of modern sonar. And the reason he's called that is because uh, in his early days, he was in uh, as an engineer. Um, he he worked at Victor Talking Machine and was in the group of engineers that helped advance the field of uh, sonar and sound and acoustics as an uh, engineering applied science. So mm-hmm. he actually co-authored the very first textbook in the field called Applied Acoustics in 1934. Fascinating! Wow. Yeah. And then he also uh, he went on to do all kinds of things uh, in air as well as underwater. Um, But how he got into the underwater was was kind of funny because uh, his friend from the RCA days and by now, like he's he's moved on and he's over at um, Brush Development Company at this point in his career. And Mm -hmm. his friend had joined uh, the Navy because he was he's Naval Reserves. And we were starting to get ready to enter World War II. And um, the German wolf packs were attacking our ships in convoy. And uh, one of his counterparts from RCA that was out in the Navy dealing with this problem was trying to waterproof a microphone sticking in the water to see if they could hear what's what's coming their way and, and stop attacks from happening. And it wasn't working. So we called up my grandfather, sent it to him. My grandfather took a look, knew how to solve the problem, went to his boss. His boss did not want to go into business with the Navy, decided it would be too much red tape and and take too long. And they had a great business going because um, at Brush, they were 
doing a, a lot of phonographic pickups and radios for cars that were not using rare earth metals. So the War Production Board had already banned the rare earth metals, but these were based on off of Rochelle Salt. So their business was booming. And he's like, what do you want to do that for? They're just going to take forever. So um, he said no. But my grandfather said, I, I've got to help my friend out. He did it on his own money, his own time, created a product, sent it as a prototype for his friend to test and forgot about it. And then the war production board um, cut uh, vacuum tubes for all commercial industry. And then then all of a sudden they were thinking, oh, geez, there goes our business. And his friend called him back up around the same timeline and said, uh, that thing you sent me works great. I can pick up the torpedoes. It's it's I, we need we need a lot of these. So we negotiated a ten million dollar contract over the phone in in about 1940, um, which is like unheard of. <laughs> today. Wow! <laughs> so that's how he got into business with the Navy, and it attracted the attention of an Admiral Fuhrer who was in charge of working with industry. And um, World War II, right before it is similar to where we are now in a sense, because there's a lot of things going on in the world and we're trying to prepare and build up our, our workforce. Just like we, we had workforce in world war two, but we were not um, building for the Navy or for um, the armed services as much as, as we needed to. And then it was a short period of time ramping up towards the war. And then during the war that we suddenly, you know, beefed up all the manufacturing mm -hmm. today. Uh, and, and I'm sure some of, listeners can can identify with this what we've done over years and years and years is that we've shipped manufacturing overseas we've encouraged our children to go to college um and we we then were hit with a global pandemic that that killed a lot of industry and a lot of suppliers um or harmed them um small businesses went under across the board you know across the country talented people decide hey forget this i'm gonna retire and then those companies had trouble you know hiring new folks and back in at the same time frame like right before world war ii uh they had the workers but they they didn't have all the products so it, it's it's interesting how history repeats itself but kind of changes itself a little bit too. So he was pulled into this. Um, my grandfather was pulled into a, a committee um, where the first meeting it was Admiral Fear, and he uh, was in charge of working with industry to advance uh, production of, of products for the war. And, um, you know, he, he put my grandfather in charge of being the industry person to oversee the advancement of, um, sonar transducers, and he he designed over 200 of them. 150 of them or so went into production, and they built thousands of them in a three and a half year period. And um, I think what happens when you have these kinds of ramp ups is that when you're innovating, whether it's for um, the Navy or for or not, you you have other products that come out of it. I mean, if you even look at like what happened with NASA when they were doing the, the um, space shuttle programs and other, other innovative programs, they came out with all these other products like Tang you know, <laughs> and all these other things that you wouldn't think would come out of a program like that, but that's how innovation works. Right. So I feel that it's, um, it's an exciting time again, where uh, there's a lot of need to build up for the 
military needs with the announcement for, you know, submarines where they're trying to build two, two Virginias and one Columbia a year. But companies like mine, where we have a business in uh, plants and sensing and water and wastewater and automation and all these other avenues and oceanographic as well, when we cover all these different market spans, it, but we also have the defense business, when we're building up innovations that way, we, we also are building up innovations in other areas. And it provides fantastic opportunities for creativity, uh, new, new workforce development. Um, and new products. So I, th I think it's a really good time. And, and it's it's a time where people um, are focusing more on manufacturing in America again, which I think is also great. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, th I think a lot of us are trying to figure out how to negotiate the big reshoring and find the right kind of skill sets to staff up plant teams to to handle all the new business. And part of what I find fascinating about Massa as a company is just what you said, where you've got a variety of customers from the U.S. government, especially the Navy and submarines, mm -hmm. to private industry. And the thing is, with with U.S. submarine work, you've got strict quality control measures and guidelines to follow. Mm -hmm. You know, five nines on a submarine really matters <laughs> when you need it to be that reliable. And that your commercial products follow those same guidelines, correct? Yeah. So it's it's really important to to say it that way, the way you did, Tom, because uh, we we have the same team here. We're very integrated at Massa. Um, we. Mm -hmm are about third engineering, a third production, a third business administration. And um, in engineering, we have three types of engineering. We have acoustic engineers, we have electronics and so uh, software engineers, and we have mechanical and production engineers. And when we're innovating, um, all those engineering groups are working together and production engineering is involved with it. And then when we shift it over to manufacturing, production engineering is also following it along. So we have this really solid control policy and we have QC coming in at different different points throughout this whole process to guarantee that the product is not um, losing anything and is meeting what we need for our standards. If we have this really quality uh, proven technique in place for the military why would we do anything different for industry we just right. continue along and we have the same engineers working on multiple programs here um I, a lot of larger companies don't do that they they focus on um you know one group will be doing one program <laughs> and another group will be doing another program we have the same people doing multiple programs and occasionally there'll be some people focusing more heavily in in some areas than others but the same people are always involved and brought up to speed for continuity and and repeatability and and learning um so that's that's another piece that's woven into the the fabric of of all that we do. Learning is is key because people that think that they know it all aren't going to do a good job. People that are close to learning aren't going to do a good job, and it suffers in the the product that you manufacture. And as a small business, Massa is a family name, and and mm -hmm. the, it's our name, so we care a lot about what comes out because if they say the the Massa product failed, they're they're saying that what we what we created is no good, and, and that's just not acceptable to us. One of the characteristics of the company is that um, products are designed and engineered all in one facility, which um, lets Massa work directly with clients who may have either a broad application or especially a niche application. Your team sort of builds the, the product, the transducer from the ground up with that customer, correct? 
Yeah, so we have off-the-shelf products, but we also have, um, you know, we, we've been on contracts and we we also will work with customers that th- there's products out there that they've tried that have failed their their expectations or they're too expensive or they're uh, too cumbersome um, or they're just not meeting the needs or they're having to use multiple products to get the same end results. Um, what we do, which is different than uh, a lot of other folks, is in those situations, we talk with them, our customers, whether it's the Navy or anyone else, if it's industry, um, what is your actual desire? What's that end sensing need? And we try to understand what that is. And then we create the transducer portion of the sensor to do what it needs to do acoustically first. And then we design the electronics and the signal processing. And what you have at the end of that is a lower cost product that is higher value and higher reliability. So the total product itself might cost more than some cheaper sensor, but it's going to be a better value and not fail you, not break down. It's going to give you the exact sensing needs that you that that you require for your job. So the overall cost is a lot less. Um, and the time and aggravation <laughs> of your team is is also not wasted um, and acquiring uh, hidden costs. So uh, we've seen um, in the aerosonics world products fail. Um, because of being over-designed on the electronic side and and not um, well-produced on the acoustic side. And we've also seen things fail, not because uh, of, of any of that per se, but just because of a lack of understanding of, of how the technology and how the product needs to be designed to survive in a given situation. Hmm. Sometimes it's not the technology, but it's the the housings and the other materials um, and, and the vapors and things that it's going into that need to be discussed and assessed. Um, and a business like mine is able to uh, talk with customers, come up with solutions um, for those situations where um if it's just some off-the-shelf product from some really large company, good luck with that. <laughs> right. Now, I, I liked your phrase, designed to survive. I think a lot of our listeners are familiar with reliability in that specific meaning where uh, you're trying to extract the most the most value from the asset over its life. And so even a, a higher upfront cost becomes lower over time if you can yep. run that asset and operate it and make sure that the asset the asset's life extends far beyond an otherwise normal of, a different sort of uh, 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 similar product. That's that's one hundred percent correct. And and also, if there's something that is a product of ours that's working for an application in one aspect, but might be failing in another, uh, it means that it's worth a conversation to explore what's what's actually going on because you can't just it's not one size fits all. And mm-hmm. and to modify something we have if there's a market for it is is pretty straightforward for us to do. And there have been different things throughout our history where where we've found that we could put uh, a new design into the world. And it's kind of like, you know, the same sort of thing with the iPhone in the sense that it's hard to believe life without it. And one of those things in our early mm-hmm. history was um, we created and produced, we outfitted over 25,000 bowling alleys 
with uh, the acoustic array sensors that were the very first automatic uh, bowling scoring systems. And we did it with acoustics. Before that, they had somebody looking and counting the pins, writing it down, and that was the score. So we created a product that we didn't know that application was out there. And we're always looking for new new bowling alleys, so to speak, uh, but with other with other areas. And we're excited because we have two new to the world, new to the market uh, products that are under alpha testing right now. So once they're through with these companies, they will be co-branded. So uh, we partnered with some um, businesses that are known for being the leaders of what they do in their field. And they mm-hmm. chose to partner with us for these products because they're not sensor manufacturers. We are. <laughs> and mm-hmm. so you want to go to, to um, partner with someone that can give you quality, reliable, um, you know, top-notch sensing. Let's go to the people who've been here since the dawn of the industry. That's great. As a quick aside, you're talking to somebody who's part of a multi-generational bowling family. So my father's going to uh, be really excited to learn that <laughs> and talk to the, the the woman leading the company who developed bowling sensors like that. He'll be really excited. <laughs> yeah, that was that was my dad's my dad's program <laughs> way uh, way back. It, it was a side note on that. I was I was a little girl when they were doing it, and uh, we had a makeshift alley in in the back for testing Ah. and i'd come in and be like why can't i have my birthday party here we have our own private bowling alley (laughs) (laughs) um when it comes to massa's upcoming product roadmap are there some products that you can share with us that we can look forward to seeing yeah so we have uh the massasonic gizmo which is a wireless product it's uh it's blue (laughs) it's it's um kind of a family of sensors. And the way we came about it is that we in the past had a wireless sensor that was kind of ahead of its time. The previous uh, wireless product that we had had components in it that were no longer supported. And it became very difficult to uh, maintain that product. So what we did instead was create a more open architecture um, platform for our new product line, which allows us to have several versions. So we're going to have a Wi-Fi version, a cellular version, and eventually a LoRa version. And we're on the verge of launching our our, um, Wi-Fi version. And our cellular version is is about a month behind that. So we're we're in the near future for a a full-blown launch, but we are in the stage where we're working with some of our um, close customers to validate it and, and implement it. You know, Don, one thing occurs to me when it comes to product innovation, which is that a lot of times ideas will be developed uh, that there may be too many ideas to execute on uh, at one point. And so sometimes ideas or paths forward might get tabled. Uh, What's Mass's approach to when you've got that kind of situation where there's a promising idea and it may simply be paused for the moment? Yeah, that's a great question. And it's something that happens all the time. And and it goes back to my other answer a little bit. But for each program that you're developing something, you have a bunch of different potential developments that spin off. Um, It's hard sometimes for businesses to find the right avenue to sell those ideas, because if if you don't have that immediate need uh, in front of you, uh, it's just tabled. Oftentimes, we'll we'll innovate for for. 
for one design and, and other ideas come out, or sometimes we'll start with a program uh, that only gets up to a certain point. And for whatever reason, um, you know, gear shift, either what's going on politically or what's going on in, in market spaces. But we have so many different designs that aren't ground up uh, innovations and to get them out into production really aren't that difficult. And some of the technology that we have um, and products uh, that we have uh, could do things like, you know, monitor the specific gravity within a fluid, uh, whether it's a food or beverage or even, you know, uh, oceanographic applications, uh, water and wastewater. If you need to control the chemical changes within um, a fluid, that that's something we can do with with our products. Um, and there's there's other things that that um, could grow out of that as well. Uh, food safe products, um, chemical changes uh, within materials, um, and even other, other areas that are more, uh, aligned with, um, I call them green and blue initiatives, uh, environmental, um, sensors, uh, that could help with the oceans as well as with, um, water and wastewater and, and uh, quality control of, of you know, beverages. Interesting. We've heard more and more applications focus on waterway systems as, to, as, as a hedge against climate change. So you're right. The, mm-hmm. These political, social, and, and financial concerns for ideas, they, they may bring ideas that are on the table back off the table. Right. Or, or the other way around things that yeah. were off the table back on the table, be, because, you know, sometimes you get to a certain point and funding shifts, uh, depending on where you are. And as a business, uh, a, a business like mine, we get funding either from the government for our contracts, the government for grants, if we're doing a research thing, uh, but our main bread and butter is manufacturing. So I, we like to work most with customers who have an immediate need that uh, are willing to test the product and and work with us to um, develop that product uh, for their needs and and then we we produce it for them and then for the general market space depending on on what the setup is is a closing question or two maybe we could talk about some trends that you see in the wireless sensing market um Wireless sensing technology seems to be applied in a lot of different ways by customers who get inventive and use to solve their problems. Um, Can you talk to us about the trends that you're seeing, the versatility of this kind of product in the market, how it's being applied? Yeah, that's a really good question because people often overlook ultrasonics from the concept of they they don't necessarily fully understand all the ways it could be used. Now, Mm -hmm. sound... That goes all the way up to the the megahertz range, all the way down to the infrasound range. And there's very few companies that specialize in the entire spectrum like we do. As far as I'm aware, we're the only company that has that continuity um, with the design, the advancement, and the manufacturing of such products from the from you know 1930s through through today uh even though that predates our business our business was founded in 1945 but because my grandfather was there and he 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 created us after the war um it's all of his life lessons that are our cornerstones so advancement of the technology and understanding sound itself is just as important to us as creating the end products that we're actually selling so the reason that bowling alley story is is valid and and of interest in these trends t- that you're talking about is that sometimes people dismiss a 
uh, ultrasonics based on what's out there. And that's really the wrong thing to do because if you if you have a need that either radar or LIDAR or even other ultrasonics or pressure sensors, you name it, any other type of technology or any other existing similar technology, if it's not working the way you need it to, it, it doesn't mean that it's a no-go. It means you need to talk about how um, the the technology could be adapted. And uh, so some of these trends would be level sensing. Hmm. Sometimes people dismiss ultrasonics in certain environments because of the vapors are going on or because of humidity or um, other issues that they view as hindrances to um, these types of sensors, but there are workarounds if they're working closely with, with the manufacturer or with, you know, someone that really understands how to adjust, uh, for the application. Um, other things have to do with sometimes it's the housing. You, you need, if it's a large enough market, the housing needs to be changed. And this, then all of a sudden the, the, the technology works just fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it ha- the speed of sound has to be calibrated. You know, there's all kinds of things that, that we can do, um, just through understanding and we can often get a, um, high quality product and to work in challenging environments where people might have the perception that ultrasonics wouldn't work. So as far as trends, you know, in, in fluid, out of fluid, um, we have a product that could work both on uh, underwater as well as above water and in, in one product or, you know, or chemicals or what, what have you, we have some products you can get very, very close sensing range as close as an inch, um, and work with turbulent surfaces, um, there's just a lot of things that we can do, um, and sometimes it's it's overlooked just because of perceptions that people have. So I would say challenge your perception of what's possible. Go ahead and reach out and talk to to technical people that understand the technology and the products, and and you know go ahead and and try it against other other things because you might get your costs down uh, just with working closer with a company that understands your need. You know, the funny thing about technologies like the the ones that NASA develops and, and produces is there's a lot of rollover savings, too, beyond the immediate sensor measurement. I'm thinking of a, a level sensing application I heard of one time where they not only were able to prevent overflows in the catch basins, it turned out that this was a food service uh, uh, industry and they had to empty the catch basins. It turned out they optimized their fleet um better because they reduce they 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 save money on gas by knowing better when the love tanks were full right instead of instead of trucks doing rounds three four times a week they were only had to do around once or twice based on need so you know once you start measuring with these sensors you you can start figuring out what other operational improvements are going to follow Right. And and with the Internet of Things, you could save yourself a lot of time and, and, and energy as well because it all connects together and, and you can get the information remotely. To that example, that we have stuff that, that works in strange places that you just wouldn't even, you wouldn't even think of, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, we, we do everything from collision avoidance type stuff to robotics type stuff to uh, automation to um liquid level to we can we can even send solids uh, if we understand that the, the environment that's going to go in it we can calibrate things to work that way there you're talking about gas we we've done things with diesel there's just so many it, it's it's limitless you know where where things could go and how they could be useful 
Well, Dawn, thank you for being with us on the podcast today. Um, if somebody wants to find out more information about MASA, uh, where would you direct them? Uh, you can okay. find us at MASA.com or uh, LinkedIn or uh, Facebook. There's a MASA page on all three. Um, and we're happy to uh, to discuss your sensing requirements and needs and applications. And one of the things that's really great also, people sometimes think, Working with a company that that does uh, business with the military might not be affordable, but like we talked about, that total value really helps, and our understanding and the quality of the product really helps. And sometimes that can help us get into more challenging environments quicker, um, where if you're just buying stuff off the shelf, it, it might not fit what you're looking for. You might have to replace it a lot. Um, so just having that open communication and um, being clear with what types of certifications you might require either now or in the future um, is a helpful path forward. Uh, sometimes if a company like mine or, or anyone else's, they sometimes it might offer a certain amount of stuff that's readily available, but that doesn't mean it's the end of where something could end up. So don't, don't sell yourself or the company short. Go ahead and reach out. And we're always happy to talk to you. That's great. Uh, and, and I'll put a plug in, too, for those who want to know more about the legacy of MASA. Uh, there, uh, under the About Us section on MASA.com, there's information about Frank and the history of the company and uh, the legacy work with the, with the Navy during World War II. So, Dawn, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing not only your, your family and company history, but uh, information about your product roadmap. Thank you so much. 